Well, hello. I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. Well, hello. Uh, it is I, Lainey, your host for this evening or the day, whenever you're listening to it. Today, we have Stephen Nowotniak, who is talking about an issue that he deals with constantly every day, but instead of doing the victim role, which he attempted at the beginning, he has gone into empowerment role in dealing with bipolar. He's an occupational therapist now and his journey with bipolar basically took him into that world to start to become a mental health and wellness coach. And now he he was on antipsychotics just to soften the symptoms, but he still believes that he needs to change his lifestyle around to deal with it. So by creating a lifestyle to live with these states, he is taking some personal responsibility in it as well and not just leaving it up to the meds that he needs to be on. He's very inspiring. He really knows this stuff. I know that you're going to love this, especially if you live with or experience bipolar yourself. Lots of really, really, really good day-to-day management stuff that you may not have thought about. So stay tuned and enjoy this. Welcome to the Love Your Diagnosis podcast. Today's guest is Steve Nowotniak, and you're all the way from where, Steve? Buffalo, New York, USA. Well, well, well. New York. Yes, you've got that kind of accent. I've, I've been interviewing <laughs> a few Americans today, and there are little, little differences in accents. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, a lot of people, when I say New York, think New York City. Um, but I'm near Niagara Falls, so it's kind of it's about six hours east of New York City. Okay, great, thank you. I would have probably thought that myself. No. Now, Steve, you ha- have uh, a very interesting and quite common diagnosis, which is bipolar. Now, I would like you, if you can, to. Um, let me know when you were diagnosed with it and how long ago that was and a brief description of what that looks like for you living with it. Yeah. So I was diagnosed when I was 27 years old in August of 2002. Um, And uh, it was actually for um, a hospitalization for depression is when I was actually uh, diagnosed with it. And 
what it's like. It, it's interesting because the best way that I can explain it is if you look at depression, uh, it's not so much having negative thoughts, even though that can be associated with it, but it's really more like the physical feeling of having the flu for me. So it's that whole body exhaustion, um, lack of energy, mental fog, you know, take away the, the stuffy nose, take away the headaches, take away those kinds of things. But just that overall body exhaustion, um, heaviness, lack of energy, fogginess, um, that kind of thing. Sometimes I feel like I want to cry, but really it's the physical part that I find the most significant. The easiest way I find that I can explain hypomania is two things. Number one is if you have ever been over-caffeinated, where you have that energy that you can't just release easily, that it's kind of pent up and, and moving, that's one part. The other part is more along the lines of having a nice buzz when you're drinking. So the inhibitions go down, the creativity can go up, the energy can go up, but the objectivity you lose. So it's kind of, for me, my hypomania, um, I, I would say, is like overly caffeinated while having a nice buzz drinking. Okay, so these are both things that you've been diagnosed with, bipolar and hypomania. No, no, hypomania is one of the symptoms of bipolar. So bipolar is when you have like low depression and then high is mania. Yeah, okay. And so that, I just try to explain it in a way that if you make it a little bit more relatable. And that was at 22 did you say you got diagnosed? 27. Now, what was your life like before then? Like, when did you know in your life that something just, you just didn't feel quite right? Like before then, were you active? Were you eating well? You know, did you, were you social? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was growing up with it and I always had the sense that something was different, but I, but I mean, I never really knew. I mean, I never thought that I had a mental illness. I got my ego when I was 14. And um, in May of 2000, I actually set off on a self-designed master's degree where I hiked, bike, sailed, and canoed for eight months down the east coast of the United States. I gave presentations to over 1,000 youth on the values of volunteerism and education, did over 230 hours of community service, and studied the geology along the way. So for me, I kind of had big ideas and big dreams and went after them and did them. So I was having a lot of fun, you know? But the way it worked for me is the ups and downs were kind of like this. And then as I got older, the intensity and the swings got more intense until the point where I couldn't pull myself out of the depression. And I was living by, an, by an, basically an alarm clock for two months where it would beep when it was time to get up. And then I would set it when I, when I would have to leave for work and I get dressed and I just wait. And then when it, when it beeped, I would go and drive to work and I would set it for when I needed to go in. And it was a rough couple months. Why did you do that? Why did you need to set the alarm to tell you to do those things? Because um, I didn't have a lot of energy and it was, and it was really difficult. And I was trying to, I was trying just to pull myself up by my bootstraps and just kind of make myself do it. And like I said, I mean, I got my ego when I was 14. I built my own master's degree. So I, and I've always had times where I've had different levels of down. But I've always been able to pull myself up out of it. So I, I was just thinking, how do you make yourself keep going through the day, even if you're feeling down? And did people around you kind of notice this about you and, and comment? Or was it just something you lived with on your own and it was your own little demon in a way? I mean, people knew that I could have 
up times and down times. But, you know, my parents always say, well, that's just Steve. And, you know, I always did come out of it. So, so before that, before I was hospitalized with depression, I had always come out of it. So there's different types of bipolar that exist. My specific type is called rapid cycling. So I can have it for a few days to a week and it can switch back and forth. So typically they'll say you could be in a state for a couple weeks, but for me, it can, it, it ends up, it can be a couple of days um, at a time. That sounds a lot nicer than a couple of weeks, doesn't it? Every method has its own challenges. So what I find challenging with the rapid cycling is that number one, the ups and downs and trying to figure out how you're feeling can be exhausting because I always have to kind of keep an eye on how I feel. I can't just go with the flow. I explained having hypomania kind of like being um, high, like having a nice buzz and being overcaffeinated, right? So for me, the cycle would be like um, having a buzz and then going up and being a little drunk and then having a hangover and then having a little bit of sobriety and then having a buzz and then getting drunk, like, like that kind of swing is kind of what it's like. And so I might be in one state for a few days, but then it's like, it switches into another one and it switches into another one. So it's weird. It, it kind of explains what an addict might go through, you know, but, but they're consciously taking a substance to feel that way. Whereas your chemicals are taking you on that journey without the um, external substance. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Is there a story you can share that actually took you from going, I can't do this anymore um, and I need to see someone about this? What was that turning point, that epiphany, that story? Yeah. Well, actually, I didn't go, hey, I have a problem. I need to go see somebody. I actually um, got into such a rut that I had to go to the hospital. And I was in the hospital for about a week. And while I was in there, I was diagnosed with a bipolar condition. So it was, it was not, oh, I think something's wrong. Hey, I need to go see somebody. It was, it was, I was, I was pretty low and I hurt myself and it was, it was a, it was a very dark time. So it wasn't, you weren't experiencing a rapid cycle then. You were experiencing something much longer that you couldn't bring yourself out of for the first time. Yes. Yeah. This, this was a low that, that was lasting for, for about a month. And I, in that one, I couldn't pull myself out of, I, I had no idea. I had no idea. And then as just like when you're in having the flu and you have that mind fog where it's hard to think critically, the same kind of thing was happening with the depression to the point where I didn't even know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to ask for ask questions. I was just getting through the day and existing. So you, you admitted yourself into hospital and then what tests did they run at the time when you were in there? I mean, was it, was it one of those, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of scenarios where where you were put in a cell by yourself or was it not that extreme? The way it worked for me. So first off, um, I went in with the diagnosis of depression, but when I was talking with one of the nurses, I was telling the nurse that I just can't keep an even keel no matter how hard I try. And it was from that statement, they decided that it's probably not depression, that it's probably more bipolar. And so I was diagnosed with that and given medication for bipolar, which I'm lucky that they did that out of the gate because most of the times what will happen is people will get diagnosed with just depression and then you take antidepressants, which pick your mood up 
But if you're bipolar, that can push you into a mania. So you need to have a mood stabilizer to kind of act as a ceiling to keep you from ramping up too much. And um, so I was very fortunate about being able to have that diagnosis off the bat. Good, because that's what I was going to ask you. Were you did, did you go through a grieving period after you were diagnosed? Because I know with a lot of people who are diagnosed with something and then given pills and sent on their way, there's this kind of fear and this part of your life that you've kind of got to say goodbye to because now you are this person. Did you go through that after you left the hospital? Yeah, I, I had, there were two parts to it. On one token, um, there was a little bit of a relief to say that there was this thing that was influencing what I was experiencing. So it wasn't a matter of personal weakness. It wasn't a character flaw. There was this thing that was influencing stuff. And that thing could be addressed and worked with. So there was relief in that part. There was also shame because now, oh, I'm one of those crazy people. So all that stigma associated with mental health and mental illness came crashing down on me. And then there was a sense of anger um, around why do I have to have this thing and being mad. And then so deciding that, you know what, if I'm going to have this, I might as well be an expert in it. That brought me to becoming an occupational therapist. And I can tell you about that story a little bit later. But but I'm an occupational therapist, and it was, and it was actually my education of occupational therapy that helped me shift my focus from coping with symptoms of an illness to managing a condition for fulfillment. And those two paradigms, um, th- those two outlooks are very different, and they lead you in different journeys. Oh, absolutely, which is really one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast is to help patients, or, or well, let's not call ourselves patients, to help people, you know, that are finding answers to the things that are not quite right with them and speaking to people who have actually like done the research, they've done the work for themselves. They can, they can give people information and life hacks to help get through similar situations. So the power of communication and getting the message out there, because for myself, when I was diagnosed with epilepsy, I knew no one. I didn't know anything about epilepsy. I didn't want to talk about it. I got on the forums and it was all a bit doom and gloom for me. So I did it myself. I, I isolated myself from thinking that I was sick. Yeah. And wanted to find answers instead of more problems. Absolutely. So did you leave the hospital with a couple of prescriptions? Yes. And the thing about um, antipsychotics is that they don't, it's not like you take them like antibiotics for a few days and then you're done. Like it can take a few weeks for the for the the chemistry to get into what's called a therapeutic level to the point where you start feeling the difference and are able to start working with it. From a from a physiology point of view, it's like there's a blood brain barrier around the brain, so it's got to work through that membrane before it gets there. So that's one of the reasons why it takes some time for it to for it to build up and work. But the medicine does. It's not like you take the meds and it's done. My experience has been the meds soften the symptoms, so they're not as intense. But then you gotta, but you still gotta learn how to live with it. Life still happens. You still have your ups. You still have your downs. I still have times where I'm feeling the slight depression, anxiety, or hypomania, and I have to create a lifestyle that supports me in addressing the needs of those states while being able to engage in meaningful activities and find fulfillment through those. 
Awesome, which they call holistic, a holistic management approach. So could you share then, Steve, some of the lifestyle things that you needed to address um, to, in order to keep the symptoms down even more than the medicine was doing for you? Yeah. So what I find is that really there's three parts. There's three pillars, if you will, um, that I have found for my from living a life holistically. So pillar one is called, it's called psychological flexibility. And that's having tools that can help my mindset shift my relationship with the discomfort associated with the symptoms into a more empowering state. It doesn't necessarily make it all go away, but it helps me relate to it in a more empowered versus victim state. The second thing is being coming more clear on what are my passions, what are, what are my values, um, what are the things that are meaningful to me. So clarity in that. And then the third step is the lifestyle piece, which is living that out. And from an occupational therapy point of view, I look at, so one thing is called sensory integration, and that is being able to purposefully and mindfully weave activities that can give pleasurable or calming input into my body, like through sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, movement, or pressure, right? So if I can if I can weave those kinds of things in and purposely use those to help calm me, that's a piece. Does chocolate calm you? Absolutely. <laughs> I will confess that I've done some emotional eating, which gave me a short term fix, but you know, then I gained weight and that didn't always help. So I'm I'm working on shifting out of that. Plus, I might add that sugar is probably not great for uh, <laughs> someone dealing with a brain, you know, a nervous system condition, as I know myself. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. side note. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. so so, what are some of those sensory integrations that work for you? When I'm feeling anxious, what I find that's helpful is pushing my feet into the floor, pushing my bottom into the chair. Basically, um, anything that I can do that helps give pressure. Another thing that can be helpful, it's like in the States, we call it Under Armour. It's a brand. It's like a compression shirt. You put it on and, and, it, and it presses in on you. Oh, is that like that weighted blanket thing as well? You, you know about the weighted... weighted blanket is something that, that people use. Yep. Oh, yep. yeah. Okay. And and the compression's meant to do what? Just like ground? So the the pressure gives your body that sense of where it is in space and time. And it's almost like a hug. You know, like instinctively, you know, sometimes when we're feeling uncomfortable, whether it be emotionally or like we want a hug, right? That pressure can be help, can help us ground. Now, as far as how to get that easily, if you've done sports where sometimes they'll give you that, that active wear that wicks the, that wicks the sweat away from you to help you stay, to help you stay dry or warmer if you're doing outdoor gear. That kind of compression shirt is what I'm what I'm referring to. It doesn't have to be this special thing. It could just be like a compression sports gear. So that's fantastic. So that's some of the lifestyle stuff that you've done. So sensory integration. What about diet? Because with nervous system stuff, I will take it back to that comment about the sugar. Because I know with brain conditions and and neuro conditions, um, sugar is going to amp up is going to probably add, and correct me if I'm wrong, add to that hypomania state. Just That's just how sugar works. Caffeine, things like that. You get to that restlessness. 
So did you do a lot of research into changing your diet or understanding that what you were eating and drinking were contributing to the bipolar maybe, or is for you, was it a completely separate issue? It's a little separate. It's, it's not like my, it's not like my food causes me to go hypomania. What can happen is if I, if what I'm learning is my body has a rhythm to it and things that help me regulate my body's rhythms help me things that spike my rhythms get me continue to cause the internal restlessness and so like one thing is is trying to have the same time roughly that I go to bed and wake up so I have some especially when I wake up um, that's I find really important because that helps give me a natural rhythm and a routine from an eating component, what I've actually started to do is intermittent fasting because uh, I want to lose weight and it helps me regulate my blood sugar level a little bit more. And I'm actually finding that the intermittent fasting is is helpful. I, I feel I feel like I'm a little bit more regulated. You mean in your in your brain? Personally, just like overall feeling, feeling a little clearer. Um, you know, I've tried different things, but but right now I'm trying intermittent fasting and it seems to be helping. Yeah, I've, I did it for two and a half years. It reset not only my body, but it also reset the way I look at food. I'm trying something different now because to me, I'm always, you know, I don't think you should ever try something the rest of your life, you know, because your body changes, your hormones change, we change as people, so does your body and what it needs. So, yeah, I did it for a while and I found it very helpful for my brain, actually. I didn't realize that I could go the whole morning and actually still be so switched on mentally before I did that. Yeah, I just thought I needed, like most people, that's what we're, that's what we're growing up to believe, that you need, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day and you need it for your brain function. So, yeah, and everyone's different. So there is, and, and people are learning that now, there is no one size fits all for anything. So you're still on medication now? Absolutely. I find that it's a, a cornerstone. I need it and I'm going to need it for the rest of my life. And I work in a psychiatric hospital and um, and I've seen a lot of people get stabilized, then get out in the community, then go off their meds and then have a break and then have to come back and then gets. And I, I've just seen a lot of people keep turning over and not really spinning their wheels, not really getting, not really um, continuing their trajectory, really just kind of in a going back and forth, back and forth. I don't see meds as being the only answer. So I'm not looking at taking my meds to make all the yucky stuff go away. I don't look at it that way. I look at it where, how do I take, how do I take it? So it can, like I mentioned in the beginning, just soften my symptoms enough for me to be able to live and do the things that are important to me. That's the purpose for meds. They're not to make all the yucky stuff go away. So are those symptoms you experienced in your 20s gone now? You just, or you still have kind of a flow of up and down? Yeah. Yep. But you I still have the flow. But you manage it. Yeah. And what I'm finding is that some of it is um, pain tolerance in the sense that I become. Just like when you work out, you might have body soreness when you work out physically. And 
it can be really bad in the beginning, but then kind of you get used to having some body soreness so it doesn't stop you anymore. It's just kind of there in the background. So one of the things that I have found is to be able to relax in some of that emotional discomfort and that um, it can, it just kind of exists. But instead of focusing on it where it's like up in front and, and the big thing that I'm focusing on, what I find is by shifting my focus to my activities or the things that are meaningful to me or mindfulness where I'm, where I'm focused on the activities that are going on around me, I can shift that discomfort into the background. Like if you're listening to the radio, if you focus on the music, it's right there and you can hear the words and all this stuff. But if you're doing your homework or you're cooking or you're doing an activity, the radio is still playing, but it shifts it into the background. So you hear the noise, but you're not really mm. always aware of everything that's being said or done. So that's the, that's the analogy that I put with the emotional discomfort associated with the symptoms. That's great. That pretty much sums up mindfulness, really, the, the mindfulness approach to things. So you've, you've taken what, has, what was a very challenging part of your life, dealing with all these symptoms and this diagnosis, and you've turned it around and you're starting to help people. You've, you're the author of a book called Differentiate Diagnosis from Personality. Is that correct? Well, the, there's two books that I have written. The first book is Bipolar Life Hacks, Keys to Loving Life with a Bipolar Condition. And the second one is Handbook for Healthy Living with a Mood Disorder. So those are the two books that I've written. Great. And and you turned that into becoming an occupational um, therapist and wellness yep. wellness coach to assist people with bipolar or just people in general? People in general. My heartstrings go for people that are working with bipolar because I, I, I can relate to that. But the skills and tools such as mindfulness, such as having a routine, all those skills and um, such as gratitude, all those skills and tools to help me work with the discomfort of the bipolar symptoms, those are good for everybody. It doesn't matter if you have a condition or not. So just like diet and exercise are good for everybody, but if you're an athlete, the need for it is more evident, or if you have diabetes, the need for it is more evident, but they're good for everybody. So same kind of thing. These these tools are good for everybody, but if you have a condition, the need for it is more evident. Great. And people can find you at CompassionRecoveryCoaching.com, yes, which I'll put a link to in the podcast notes. I also want to ask, yeah, I ask everyone this, uh, would you say that you love your diagnosis? I would say I'm learning from my diagnosis. And I, and I would say that I... In the very beginning, I looked at it like an illness that I had to recover from. And like I, I got sick and how do I go back to the way I was? That was when I was in the very beginning. I've since let that go. I've now taken it to be a, this is a journey of personal understanding and reflection, getting to know what it's like being in my own skin. And so now it's a journey of self-improvement and growth versus coping with an illness. And that has shifted, that has really shifted it. So, so now I see my condition as a teacher and it's causing me to have to learn skills and tools and grow as an individual so I can do more. Fantastic. That's great, really. And do you have any tips or little parting words that you can give to anyone that is dealing with bipolar? Sure. So the first thing I would say is, um, number one is you're not alone. And I actually did a YouTube video, which are on the six th 
things that I wish I knew when I was first diagnosed with the bipolar condition. And that is, um, so anyway, we can, if you want to put a link on that in this, uh, off the YouTube, having that video, yeah. but that goes into what are the things that I've learned. So, so you're not alone. There are definitely stuff that can be done and um, we can be on this journey together. Fantastic. Cause there is a bit of stigma around it just because it's a bit unpredictable, you know, and people don't like unpredictability too much. There is a bit of stigma around it. And in your books, do you, do you kind of try and quell some of those stigmas? I do have in um, bipolar life hacks, I do have a little thing on stigma. And what I have found is that there's really two types of stigma. There's community stigma, which is how the world might look at somebody with that label a little differently. But even more impactful is self-stigma. And that's where I start to see myself differently because of a label. Now, that's different than having a honest self-awareness of strengths and weaknesses or challenges. Like, like having that, that is important. But making choices just because of a label is not necessarily empowering. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. Because then you, then you identify with the label and become the label instead of just becoming the person with the condition walking alongside it. Or the, yes, and the perception of the label versus getting to us the reality. Now, <clears throat> the other part that I do have, I feel like I have a responsibility also to say is that I need to take ownership of my behaviors. I need to take ownership of how I um, present myself to others and, and how even if I'm feeling uncomfortable on the inside, I still got to take responsibility for what I do because there are people that have been negatively influenced if, if, I'm, if I'm not being responsible. And so, you know, the, I, I, that's a reality that happens too. And how do you learn that? Because that doesn't come that doesn't come naturally for people. Like that comes with, I guess, age and wisdom. But how? What, what is a suggestion for people that haven't yet kind of mastered that? How would you suggest people with bipolar take start taking responsibility? I think one of the pieces is being what I use, and and I and and, and where I go back to is my experience and what I found that works for me. You know. Exactly. Um, yes. But I find number one is people that I trust giving permission to speak into what's going on. I'm not saying everybody and their aunt can tell me everything. And some people, you know, sometimes it's just I'm just having a bad day. It doesn't mean I didn't take my meds. It's just I'm having a bad day. But there are some people like my wife, um, like some coworkers that I may say, do I, does this, does this seem balanced? Like, does this seem objective or does it seem like I'm off? And, and, I, and I let them speak into me, like th- if that makes sense. Yeah, they're like, like sounding boards. Exactly. And, and to challenge me if, if, I'm, if I'm seeming like I'm coming off a little bit, um, just to challenge and, say, and, and question it and, and, and to be open to what they have to say. But it's having some key people. Great. That's really good advice. And thank you so much for sharing your story, Steve. It's, uh, it's an important one. There are a lot of people that uh, experience bipolar d- disorder, I guess. It's not a disease, is it? It's a disorder. Yeah, I call it a condition just because that's just what I call it. But yes, bipolar disorder is how it's referred. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. I'll put up all the links to your books and where people can find you. And um, yeah, good luck continuing to empower people and managing your condition. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. This is awesome. I think it's so important what you're doing. Uh, so thanks, thank you very much. Steve. Thank you, Dal. We'll, we'll we'll stay in touch. Definitely. All right. Bye bye. All right. Bye now. If you would like to donate to the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit the PayPal button. And if you've got a few loose coins, that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with, and that you've researched and found some some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with, and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva. Godiva.